0: Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. I'm so glad that you're joining us today, and uh, it's the middle of the week, and as we think about the middle of the week, maybe uh, you got a lot of pressure on you, and maybe it's a great time for you today to attend a Wednesday night prayer meeting somewhere, our Wednesday night Bible study somewhere. Well, I want you to know that at Hickory Ridge Community Church, every Wednesday night, well, our kids are in the Iwana ministry, and our youth are having youth group on our Ridge students are the youth group, we are doing a Bible study every single Wednesday night at 630. So why don't you come and join us tonight? It's not too late to come on down to Hickory Ridge Community Church at 630. We'd love to have you join us. And we do all kinds of different Bible studies from the Gospel Project. Right now, we're doing actually a study that was filmed in the Holy Land. And it's a study by Ray Vanderlaan. And I know that you'll enjoy that study. And our teacher does an amazing job. Mr. Ted Schindler does an amazing job teaching us on Wednesday night. So please join us. You can enroll your children in Awana or in the youth ministry on Wednesday night. You can join the Bible study with us. I would love to see you. I'm there every Wednesday night joining this Bible study. Well, during World War II, Iva Tagore, also known as Tokyo Rose, via Japanese radio broadcast in English called The Zero Hour sought to demoralize American soldiers, and over and over again, she exercised a form of psychological warfare, telling soldiers they were boneheads for fighting. She would describe, quite unnervingly, various units of the army and individual servicemen, saying it was useless for them to struggle anymore. She constantly urged them to surrender, even sabotage the war effort. The theme running through her broadcast and the propaganda was, give it up. You've already lost. Japan's victory is inevitable. And Now, may I suggest that's exactly what many Christians are currently experiencing in the fight to save things like marriages and to save things like traditional values. It's called the Tokyo Rose Effect. We've been hearing for so long the war to save marriage is lost. Uh, Some are getting panicky about it. Some even in our leadership appear to embrace the notion, arguing that we need to back off a little bit and start approaching this subject with finesse. Well, as I think about this, it's so easy to get discouraged. The Bible tells us we should commit our work to the Lord, and then it will succeed. Now, one of the reasons I think that Christians are not as vigilant as they should be is because we don't have good friendships. You know, God has a view of what friendship is. And if I want to honor God, I've got to honor him in my friendships. And so today in the broadcast, I want to talk to you about how to have a good friend, how to be a good friend. In the 1960s, Jack Warner who was the last of the five living Warner Brothers, sold this stock of the Warner Brothers for $640 million. That was unbelievable back in the 1960s. A reporter asked him, how many friends do you have in the world? He said this, I don't have a single friend in the whole world. Now there's an example of a man who's very rich, but very poor. If I want good friends, I must be a good friend. Biblical friendship is one of being like minded that is rooted in Christ. A biblical friendship allows room for accountability and encouragement from both sides. The Bible says wounds from a sincere friend are better than kisses from an enemy. Jesus said in John 15, Greater love has no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Well, let me quickly give you seven traits of biblical friendship. Now, biblical friendship is an excellent topic to study, and scriptures abound with much that we can learn in this area of friendship. So for our purposes today, I would just consider seven of these traits, okay? Number one would be a good biblical friend is one who is loving. I mean, Jesus commands us to love one another. Now, these are easy words to say, much harder to put into practice, but one way we can show love to our friends is to tell them what they mean to us. Be creative in looking for ways to express your feelings. Expressions come in many forms, words, actions, acts of kindness, provision. You know, loving acts don't have to break the bank, but they should be communicated often. You know, no one ever tires of hearing that they are loved and valued and appreciated. You know, every time I communicate with my family, my wife and my children, I always end the conversation, whether it's in person or whether it's on the phone or whether it's a text message or, or whatever, I always end by saying, I love you. And they always end by saying, I love you too, Dad. Dad. And that's such a blessing, right? To know that I'm loved. Somebody asked me, why do you do that? Well, I said, well, the reason I do that is because I want them to remember the last thing that I said to them was, I love you. That's the last thing I want them to remember. So if I depart from them unexpectedly or whatever, uh, I want them to say, you know, when dad left me, the last thing he says, I love you. There's something about hearing that little phrase, I love you. You know, there's a second characteristic of friendship. It's called being trustworthy. Proverbs seventeen nine tells us that a true friend will keep their word, honor our privacy, and guard our confidences. Uh, this is what a true friend does. This is a treasure that you have in a true friend. They can be counted on no matter what. They can be counted on not to tell your embarrassing stories without permission. Our name is safe on their lips. You see, trustworthiness in a friend is huge. However, it is important to remember that we must take care in this area. Trusting too easily can lead to ruin. We would do well to follow Jesus' example as a model in friendship with Peter, James, and John and share complete trust only with a few loyal friends. When I think about Jesus, right? He ministered to the multitudes. He had 120 disciples. I didn't have just 12. There's 12 apostles. That was his inner circle. Uh, but then he had an inner circle within the inner circle, and that was his three closest friend, Peter, James, and John. And that's where he shared everything with them. He had complete trust in them. Number three, a good friend is one who not only is loving, uh, not only is trustworthy, but a good friend is one who is loyal. Proverbs 17, 17 says, our friend loves at all times. Uh, that means they stick with you even in the hardest of times. You know, one uh, example could be found in 1 Samuel chapter 23, and this is a beautiful expression of loyalty. Jonathan, the son of King Saul, leaves the palace and goes to David in the wilderness, and he rose up and he went. In other words, he was an initiator. Uh, he was loyal to David. And as you think just as important as that, imagine David, he's running for his life from the king, hiding in the wilderness, lifting up his eyes, and there he sees Jonathan. How must that sight have lifted up his heavy heart, the sight of somebody he knew and trusted, uh, somebody who loved him and supported him no matter what? This is a typical loyal friend who says, I've got your back. Come back to life. I'm with you. You know, I was so moved by a a text message that I received uh, just a few days ago, and one of our members was giving birth. And in this process, this member who is, and I and I love this couple, and they're almost like my own children. And I always get around, I says, the reason I have this connection, I think, is because you guys are young enough to be with my kids. And she was giving birth, and things were not going well. And she kept looking over to her husband and says, get Calvin, get Pastor Calvin on the phone, get Pastor Calvin on the phone. I need to talk to him. And uh, and I, unbeknownst to me at that same time, I was sending them a text and they were sending me back a text. And I said, I will call you. I will call you. And, uh, and, and unfortunately, uh, because of her situation, she couldn't receive the call. And so I went to see her the next day. And I got thinking about that. I used to have a sign in my office that would say this. You know, everybody brings joy to this office. Some when they come in, some when they go out. You know, a loyal friend is that friend that you're so happy to see come in that door. Uh, maybe you're in a hospital, or maybe you're in a in a situation where you're going through a time of grieving. Uh, maybe you're in a situation where there's a lot of pressure on you and you don't know what to do, and all of a sudden that loyal friend shows up. A friend loves at all times. That means they stick with you even during the hardest times. And number four a good friend, is one who is vulnerable. You know, biblical friendships provide a place for vulnerability, a place where we do not hide the realities of our life, but rather open up our hearts in complete honesty. Being vulnerable. You see, this place of vulnerability leaves many people really uncomfortable because exposure is it's risky. But here in the safety of Of biblical friendship, we are free to be totally honest. Honest about our brokenness, our weakness, our sin, our fears, and even the mess of our day to day life. We are vulnerable. That's a sign of a good friend who won't take your vulnerabilities to exploit them against you, but will use those as a place where they can come along and comfort you. There's something else that we can't miss. When we think about seven traits of a biblical friend, Uh, we've talked about loving, we've talked about trustworthy, we've talked about loyalty, we've talked about vulnerability. But number five, a good friend will also be one who exhorts us. You see, we're being lied to every day, coming from such places as the world or our own flesh and Satan, and a lie takes on various forms whether it be in social media or advertising or music or uh, movies, just to name a few. And just to reiterate, they are being hurled at us every single day. And a biblical friend understands this and sees exhortation as a high calling. Lovingly, they speak the truth into our lives through such difficult things as admonition and, and advice and correction. You see, the giving and receiving of exhortation is not always easy, but our soul needs it. Biblical friendship exists when two or more people, bound together by a common faith in Jesus Christ, pursue Him, pursue His kingdom with intentionality and vulnerability. Rather than serving as an end in and of itself, biblical friendship serves primarily to bring glory to Christ who brought us into friendship with the Father. It's an indispensable work of the gospel that once we are a friend of God, we also establish good brothers and sisters in Christ who become friends as well. An essential element is that we must, from time to time, exhort one another. That is lovingly correcting somebody that we call a friend. I mean, what kind of friend would we be if we just allow a friend to self-destruct? No, we are to exhort them, and we're to encourage them to get on the right track. So exhorting is talking about giving correction, giving direction to save a person from the inevitable destruction. On the other hand, number six, we also need friends that are not just exhorting, but also friends who are encouraging. A true friend, you know, rejoices with us and spurs us to growth, and they allow the Holy Spirit to speak life. They allow the Holy Spirit to give us hope through them. Whether it be written word or spoken words, they encourage on a regular basis and they show us that we are valuable to them. They say things that keep us believing. As I think about encouraging one another, every one of us needs heavy doses of encouragement. I tell our congregation often, has it ever occurred to you that everybody's having a hard time? It's not just you. It's not just me. Everybody's having a hard time. Listen, we are sojourners. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Our treasures are laid up beyond the blue. And if that's true and it is, then we have a difficult time fitting in in this world because we don't really fit here. Our citizenship is not here. We're like missionaries. Uh, We don't uh, live here. We're temporarily residing here. Our eternal home is in heaven. And in the meantime, we need encouraging from one another. Number seven, here is the seventh biblical trait of a true friend. A true friend is bound together by our common faith in Jesus Christ. You see, true friends work to sharpen one another. Uh, They help each other to grow in all areas of life. Conversations with such a friend are so refreshing, and time spent together just fills up our souls. As we see these seven traits, they're certainly not the only traits attributed to biblical friendship. We can dive in a little bit deeper and discover there's many more traits, and and I would encourage you to spend some time in the book of Ephesians, specifically at verses uh, 17 to 32. And as you read through this passage, uh, you can make some notes and you can discover some traits of friendship. And for a little added benefit, try sitting down a day or two later and, and writing these traits out in your own words. Ephesians 4, 17 to 32 is quite the portrait of biblical friendship. Well, maybe you're having a hard time and you're struggling with a good definition of friendship. The New York Times recently featured an article exploring our current confusion about friendship. And I uh, asked people to define friendship, and And even the experts who research this matter of friendship are having a hard time getting their head around it. You'll find a very, uh, an uncomfortable silence, right, uh, when we talk about friendship, because friendship is difficult to describe. Uh, one professor of philosophy in Princeton said this on friendship, He says, we have 300 pages that we have put together trying to explain what friendship is, and he says, it's easy to say what friendship is not, and foremost, it is not instrumental. It's not a means to obtain a higher status. In other words, if I have a person who I think is my friend, but I'm really using them to get me to a higher status, I am not really their friend. So we know that that is not friendship. Ronald Sharp, a professor who teaches a course on literature on friendship, added, It's not about what somebody can do for you. It's who and what the two of you become in each other's presence. The notion of doing nothing but spending time in each other's company has, in a way, become a lost art. People are so eager to maximize the efficiency of relationships that they have lost touch with what it is to be a friend. Well, if I'm going to be a friend, I've talked about some traits of friendship, but what do I need to do if I'm going to be a good friend? Well, let's go back to the Word of God. Number one, if I'm going to be a biblical friend, I must be committed. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. A man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So I must be committed. Focus on quality, not quantity, when it comes to having friends. You see, you can't be committed to everybody. Concentrate on quality. Don't look for a a committed friend, but rather be a committed friend but don't let your friends take the place of God. That's the challenge that we're given in Proverbs eighteen twenty-four. Some friendships don't last, but some friends are more loyal than brothers. So be committed, but realizing that your friends cannot take the place of God. There's only one God, and that's not you. It's not your friend. Be committed to friendship, but realize that there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Number two, if I'm going to be a biblical friend, I, I must not only be committed, but I must be considerate. Proverbs nineteen twenty two in the Moffat translation says, "Friendliness bears fruit for a man." Proverbs seventeen nine in the Living Bible says, "Love forgets mistakes. Nagging about them parts the best of friends." You see, they're not blind; they just chose to overlook. Things. That's what a good friend does. They're forgiving. They don't rub it in, they rub it out. They choose to overlook your faults. I saw a card that said this a greeting card. You're a good egg, even if you are a little cracked. (laughs) And we're all a little cracked, right? Our friends are committed and, and friends are considerate one to another. You see, if you want to have friends that are considerate, Treat people the way that you want to be treated. Well, we've talked about biblical friends. If I want to be a, a biblical friend, I've got to be one who is committed. I've got to be one who's considerate. And then number three, I've got to be one who is confidential. Proverbs eleven thirteen says, A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. It's like the three pastors who were out fishing and said, Let's all share our favorite sin. That's the one that's our biggest problem. So, one guy says, Well, my problem is greed. I have a love and a lust for money. And the next guy says, Well, my problem is lust. I can't keep my eyes off other women. The third pastor says, Well, my problem is gossip, and I can't wait to get back and tell everybody what I heard today. <laughs> Well, a friend is one who can listen without having a burning desire to broadcast it. Are you a person that can hold the confidence? I remember I was at the funeral of a very prominent pastor, a pastor who ministered to literally thousands of people in his ministry, had a worldwide ministry. And one of the guys said of this man's passing, one of the pastors says, I wonder how many secrets went to the grave. With this man. I wonder how many secrets went to the grave with this man. You see, a good friend, maintains confidentiality because they are trustworthy. Can that be said of you? Are you a trustworthy friend? And number four, a biblical friend. If I want to be a biblical friend, I must be candid, I must be honest. Proverbs 27 verses 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke then hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. I've got to be honest with my friends. I must share the truth with them. An honest answer is the sign of a true friendship. Proverbs 24, 26. You see, a friend, a biblical friend, and if you want to be a biblical friend, you must also be one who is constructive. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. Uh, We are told in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 that we should encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. You know, I I almost hate to admit this, but I sometimes watch Winnie the Pooh, and it's not that I necessarily want to watch it, but I have a son uh, who has autism, uh, and he's 22 years old, and, and, uh, and he loves Winnie the Pooh, and so in one episode... Of Winnie the Pooh, uh, there's Christopher Robin, and he says to Pooh, Now promise me that you'll always remember you're braver than you believe, and you're stronger than you seem, and you're smarter than you think. What words of encouragement from a friend? Christopher Robin encouraging Winnie the Pooh. Oh, I'm so thankful for the friends in my life who are constructive and, and encouraging to me. And I hope and pray that I can be encouraging and constructive to them as well. Well, number six, if you want to be a biblical friend, I must be consistent. A friend loves at all times, Proverbs 17, 17. And a brother is born for adversity. Well, we had some poo theology today. Here's what Charlie Brown had to say about his dog, Snoopy. Are you... Upset, my little friend? Have you been lying awake worrying? Well, don't worry. I'm here. The floodwaters will recede, the famine will end, the sun will shine tomorrow, and I will always be here to take care of you. What a consistent friend Charlie Brown was to Snoopy. In Romans chapter 5 and 11, Uh, We learn that we are to rejoice in our wonderful relationship with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done in dying for our sins, making us friends with God. You know, there is a blessing and a privilege to friendship. You know, there is no evidence that the poet and philosopher David White was a Christian, uh, nor did he ever claim to believe in the Bible. But his insights on the theme of friendship make him seem like he was somewhat aware of godly values and biblical truth when he emphasizes mercy and forgiveness in authentic friendships. friendships. Friendships, not only helps us to see ourselves through others' eyes, it can be sustained over the years only with someone who has repeatedly forgiven us of our trespasses, as we must find it in ourselves ourselves To forgive them in return. Our friend knows our difficulties and shadows and remains in sight. A companion of our vulnerabilities. A real friendship is a blessing because it is rediscovered again and again through understanding and mercy. All friendships of any length are based on a continued and mutual forgiveness. Without tolerance and mercy, all friendships die. It's just being with somebody and having true knowledge of them is a blessing and a privilege. Well I hope today that this has helped you become a better friend. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash1890557 or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast.